This is a holiday. I, uh, I don't think in 20 years I've ever seen Country Bible end a greeting time like on your own without somebody calling you to order. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you for being here with us this morning. I, uh, some first hour, I, uh, thinking about uh, the joy that uh, we have in shepherding so many young hearts together. And it's crazy, like, you know, 45 kids on the stage plus Awana and just uh, the privilege that we have in uh, shepherding these kids together. And I think uh, probably now is a, a good time to remind you that, uh, you know, in the trenches week by week, uh, the Olmers and the Hills and the Wilsons, and as you have opportunity to thank them, please do. Uh, for their ministry on our behalf, just to remind us that we all uh, share that stewardship together and uh, that even just uh, letting the kids uh, participate in worship this morning uh, in place of the worship team, I think, is an extension of your ministry to them uh, in affirming their uh, celebrating Christ's birth and your smiles and your applause. Uh, Thank you for helping us steward these young souls, and uh, I encourage you to persist in that work. Uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to turn to the Word and want to look at Luke chapter 1. If you've been with us, you know we've been in Acts, and part of me uh, really wanted to start in Luke and see how the book of Luke kind of folds into what we're seeing happen in the book of Acts, but as I said last week, for Christmas, we're going to step back to Luke and look at the annunciation of Jesus' birth, or the pronouncement of Jesus' birth, and uh, I'm going to, this morning, I guess, allude a few times to Zechariah and Elizabeth, because I think the way Luke kind of structures the narrative around Zechariah and Elizabeth and the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist in some ways kind of reflects Mary in the announcement of Jesus' birth, and in other ways he seems very much to be contrasting these two things. Uh, But uh, we can only cover so much ground in one morning. So I'm just going to allude to uh, the beginning of chapter 1, and we're going to focus our attention on verses 26 through 38. So if you would open your Bible to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and read with me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, has call, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have drawn us together to worship this morning. Lord, we thank you uh, for the privilege that we have in seeing uh, so many uh, tender hearts uh, extol the wonder of the season. Lord, we pray that uh, that in itself would be a ministry to us. Lord, that uh, we would be uh, refreshed to see uh, young voices singing your praises. And God, even as uh, we're ministered to, Lord, we pray that we would be ever reminded of our uh, ministry to guard one another, to love one another, uh, to shepherd one another towards greater faithfulness from uh, the least of these to the greatest. God, uh, we thank you that uh, you have given us uh, this body, this family, to move us towards greater Christ-likeness. And Lord, we pray that in our time together this morning, uh, that you would use uh, the ministry of your word to prick our hearts, Lord, that we would be uh, reminded anew of uh, your miraculous grace, Lord, your provision for us even in our sin, God, that uh, we would uh, be both God, encouraged by your provision of grace and also eager to uh, remind all of what you've provided for us in Jesus Christ, and especially those amongst us who are uh, struggling and suffering in this season. God, we pray that you would do this for your glory and, and for the furthering of your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I, uh, I always struggle with uh, talking about uh, Christmas or Easter, because it seems like everybody's heard essentially the same sermon every week for uh, most of the Christmases that they've celebrated. And, uh, you know, it seems to be uh, the more familiar we are with a text, the more we just assume that we don't really have anything uh, new to learn. And uh, as I was walking through this text uh, this week, I was reminded again that, uh, you know, as, as much as uh, the words of this text might be familiar to us, uh, that probably each year that I exist and the more life I experience, the more struggles that I have, like, the more uh, I can really appreciate that as much as I may have experienced, I've never experienced anything quite like Mary is experiencing at this point. And uh, even as I'm thinking about that, I think uh, it would probably be wise for us uh, to reflect a moment uh, as to like, what it is about this season that uh, we all seem to appreciate, or at least most of us. I would, 
expect probably if we took a poll and asked people what, uh, what's your favorite holiday, uh, Christmas would be right up there if not uh, number one. And I think probably further if we said like, what is it about Christmas that we all enjoy? We'd get answers all over the board, uh, but probably most of them uh, wouldn't have a lot to do with what is happening here, uh, right? We, we might put it up there, but if we're honest about what is uh, comforting to us about this season or what we most look forward to about this season, uh, you know, it might be, for me, it's sugar cookies, probably, uh, maybe Bing Crosby, uh, maybe time with family, right? Like uh, maybe for the younger people in the room, uh, presents, obviously, uh, right? Like we'd all probably fix one or two things as like, this is the thing that I, if I'm honest, I most look forward to. And yet, even as that's true, uh, I think uh, I think that people that uh, cling to the Bible, uh, a lot of times you won't have to search too hard for them to find a person uh, that's... Uh, has no problem saying that they think there's a war on Christmas or something along those lines, like that society is out to strip Christ from Christmas. And I've been reflecting on the fact this week that like, if I'm honest about my own heart, uh, right, like none of the things that I find comforting about Christmas are wrong or bad, but the fact that I find comfort in so many things other than Christ in this season probably is indicative of the fact that, like, in my own heart, there's a subtle war on Christmas, and probably I think the same thing is true for each of us, uh, that we love this season, uh, but uh, a lot of times if we try to drill down to why, uh, we're probably a little uncomfortable with the answer. And so as we look at the text this morning, I think certainly we should uh, we should articulate that Jesus is absolutely the reason that we celebrate Christmas, but uh, even as you're thinking about that, maybe also consider like to what degree is that really the thing that uh, I love about this season is is that really the wonder that captivates me, or is it the wonder of nostalgia or family or something else? The announcement starts, like most announcements, with an angel coming. Uh, What's probably unique about this announcement uh, is... uh, Where on earth is this place? Right? Uh, Luke... uh, announces to Theophilus that Gabriel shows up at Nazareth, but he doesn't just name Nazareth, he places Nazareth in a region. And if you're from Bennett, like me, uh, you know, you're used to this fact. Uh, I've never gone to a place outside of southeast Nebraska and said, yeah, I'm from Bennett, and people are like, oh, Bennett, I know that place, uh, right? Like, you have to say, I'm from Bennett, and then Nebraska, and then they say, like, that's one of the middle states, right? Uh, like, you know, like, uh, Nazareth is uh, unique in that it's one of the few places named in the Bible that's not named anywhere in the Old Testament, right? Like, 
when this narrative is introduced, like Nazareth is a newly named place in the Bible. It's an utterly inconsequential place in almost every way imaginable. Uh, probably most Jews wouldn't. Nazareth, uh, that's where? Right? So Luke places this inconsequential city in, in Galilee, which probably, you know, like Bennett, Nebraska, most Jews would not like, oh, so an inconsequential town in an inconsequential region, right? Like, Galilee isn't much better, but uh, Gabriel comes to this place that would not capture anyone's notice for any, any reason, and as Gabriel comes to the place that is uh, probably by any measure inconsequential, uh, Gabriel comes to a person who is probably by most of the world's measures inconsequential. There is not really, uh, at least to... Uh, by man's standard, anything particularly interesting about Mary. Uh, Mary, uh, at this point, as the virgin betrothed to a man, is probably 13 to 15 years old. That'd be the typical age when a woman would be uh, engaged to a man. And even as she's introduced to us, uh, she's not introduced to us like other people, right? Like, uh, previously in the book, when Zechariah and Elizabeth were uh, introduced to us, like everything about their lives and their persons would kind of indicate like you would expect something special to happen here, right? Like a priestly family, distinguished, like they're the, the sort of people that you would expect something to happen to. Uh, Mary, uh, on the other hand, is introduced as uh, a young girl uh, whose claim to fame is that she's engaged to be married to a guy, uh, we find out elsewhere, a carpenter in an inconsequential town, uh, who can at some point trace his lineage back to King David, right? Like uh, two fairly unremarkable people. Uh, and we are introduced to this girl, Mary, as the recipient of an angelic visitor, right? And so... Uh, Luke kind of frames this for us as, uh, you know, like what had happened with the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist is something. What's happening here, uh, you know, probably a lesser degree of glory. And yet, uh, Gabriel announces to Mary uh, greetings, uh, O favored one or a person of grace, the Lord is with you. And that alone would be shocking to Mary. Number one, uh, it would be very atypical for a man to come to a betrothed girl privately and say anything to her. But uh, not just the fact that this angelic visitor has come to her and is addressing her directly, but what he says is probably as shocking as the fact that he says anything to her at all. Right? That... Uh, this, this proclamation, uh, O favored one, or full of grace, uh, is perfect and passive. So he's not, he's not saying here that Mary has grace to give people. He's saying that she is like uh, the utter recipient of God's grace. She's received an unimaginable sort of grace, and then the Lord is with you, which she may know is uh, a frame uh, typically seen when uh, someone is being set apart for something special. In fact, uh, an angel says almost the same thing 
to Gideon in the Old Testament, right, that God is with you, right? And for Mary, uh, I would think that uh, this is a strange interaction already. Number one, an angel. Number two, you know, an angel. Uh, but why on earth would he be saying this to her? She, you know, like she's a 14, 15 year old girl and like she's in an inconsequential place probably uh, as much as she cares about her family and the things in her life. Like there seems to be nothing remarkable about any of her experiences to that point in life. And in fact, Luke uh, adds this editorial note that she, she's immediately, her response is great distress or being greatly troubled. Uh, and where Zechariah and Elizabeth were uh, in fear on hearing from, in fear from hearing from Gabriel, the word Luke's using here is like doubling down. Like she is way more afraid than Zechariah and Elizabeth were when they received similar news uh, that they, she, she doesn't understand why the angel is saying these things to her. She's trying to sort out, why is he talking to me and why has he said these things to me and what is this all about? And as she, I'm sure, wearing that look on her face, the angel says, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. God is going to bless her and he goes on to explain exactly how. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Right? And here is the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise through the ages, and yet as Mary hears this, I think it's probably pretty difficult for us to imagine that she was glad about this. Like, I, I would almost think that she doesn't hear the rest of what he says because what on earth does that mean, right? Like, she'll go on to say, I don't know my husband yet. Like, you're, you're going to have a child and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, right? That uh, if, she, if she understood and was still tracking the claim in 32 is unbelievable, right? That uh, anytime we see this word great in Scripture, it's always qualified. Like we had just seen it with John the Baptist, but he was going to be great before the Lord, right? Uh, it's always qualified. The only time that Scripture uses great in an unqualified sense, like in the Psalms, is when it's talking about God himself, right? And so Mary hears this and her son is going to be great in the way that God is great. Uh, in fact, he will be called the son of the Most High. And in the Most High, if, if it weren't uh, clear to her, it's only implied in calling him great, here it's explicit. Right? The Most High is a name reserved for God alone, the one who is supreme above all things. He is going to be the son of God. Right? And and not only is he going to be divine in attribute, but uh, he is set apart for a special office. He is the fulfillment of the promise in 2 Samuel 7. He is going to pick up the throne of David. And not only will he rule and reign as king, but his kingdom will never end. So Gabriel announces to her both what her son is going to be, what he's going to be like, 
but also what He's going to do. Your Son is going to rule and reign over all forever. And talk about a lot for a person to take in all at once, right? Like, uh, it's hard, I think, to to imagine what on earth Mary could have been thinking at that point. Uh, But um, the response that Mary gives is probably not the response that you would expect. This kind of announcement, uh, in a sense, has come before in Scripture, right? Starting with Abraham and Sarah, even you could say Hagar, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, just a few verses earlier. Like, there have been times in Scripture where uh, you would think somebody that wouldn't be able to give birth by God's power has a child. That uh, what is somewhere on the border between incredibly unlikely and impossible uh, happens because God moves. But Mary was just told something that uh, is not somewhere between very unlikely and impossible. It's utterly impossible. Right? Uh, because she's betrothed and not yet married, she and uh, Joseph are in the time of their relationship where uh, legally, essentially, they're married, but they don't know each other in an intimate sense. And it's not possible for a person to conceive if that's the case. Like, that's, that's not unlikely. That's impossible in the strongest sense imaginable. That does not happen. It's never happened. It does not happen. And in times in Scripture where somebody's given news that seems incredibly unlikely or even impossible... Uh, Almost always, Gideon, Abraham and Sarah, Zechariah and Elizabeth, any time, typically the response is, okay, I'm not so sure about that. Could you give me some kind of sign to confirm that? In fact, with Zechariah and Elizabeth, just a few verses earlier, like they ask for a sign and then uh, Zechariah is uh, struck mute uh, for his lack of faith. Uh, but unlike everyone before her who hear, hears similar news, uh, Mary hears even more impossible news than anyone else has ever heard before, and her response isn't disbelief about what's going to happen. It's a simple and honest question. How can this impossible thing happen? Right? And there's nothing about the way she says this that would indicate that she doesn't believe that that. It's going to happen. She's simply asking, how? How could this impossible thing come to pass? And the angel, Gabriel, very graciously responds to her that the Holy Spirit is going to come over her, that the power of the Most High will overshadow her, and therefore the child to be be born to her will be unlike any child before. This child will be holy the Son of God. And in this first part of his response, I think uh, probably something that hits her ear that doesn't necessarily hit our ear, and it's the word overshadow. For, 
for uh, Mary, probably, this word is pregnant with a meaning that it does not have for us. Uh, I guess, funny choice of words, pregnant. Uh, right, but uh, overshadow, that's a, that's a word we only use in specific situations, right? Think about uh, pillar of cloud. Think about the tabernacle being built and uh, the glory of the Lord overshadows that place. Think about the temple, right? It's, it's a word that's used when God's presence is, uh, is focused, locally focused in a way that is utterly unique. That God, his explanation as to how this impossible thing becomes possible is that God's presence is going to come on you in a way that it does not come, on, come, come in other places or in other ways. That God himself, by his power, is going to manifest his presence uh, with you in a way that prompts the conception of a child unlike any other child. And this is what we're celebrating in Scripture. It's absolutely uh, at Christmas, and it's absolutely vital to the message of Scripture that we understand that Jesus Christ is unlike any other person ever born, that uh, all other people uh, conceived uh, with a father and a mother inherit the curse of Adam, and because Jesus was born of a virgin having no uh, human father, he does not inherit the curse of Adam, that he is indeed holy, that he is the Son of God. And probably as an, a further act of grace to Mary, he goes on to point out uh, that whether Mary knows it yet or not, Elizabeth uh, was called barren. Elizabeth, whom you know well, uh, everyone else said she could not have a child, but in fact, she is in her sixth month of pregnancy with a child for what, uh, what seems to be impossible with man is not impossible with God. And I think it is remarkable how uh, Mary responds to that. Right? Like, uh, okay, sure, God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. God has specialized in doing things that everyone else said were impossible basically since the dawn of time, right? That surely God can do a miracle, but even if God does everything that you say God is going to do, you cannot possibly imagine, Gabriel, the ramifications that that will have for my life. And that, uh, number one, I guess the engagement will be off. Uh, number two, if I'm not killed by the people in Nazareth, the rest of my life will be shame and misery, right? Like, uh, it, it is impossible to imagine Mary at this point thinking like she, did, she was not just asked to carry the largest burden any young girl could be asked to carry in her town. Right? Like, uh, this makes the scarlet letter look like char child's play for her. Like, this is an unbelievable ask. And again, and unlike anyone before her, 
Mary's response is simply, I, I am the servant of God. And, and literally, it says, I am the, the Lord's slave, is what it says literally. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel leaves. And I want to pause for a second there because I think that there's a very important thing for us to understand. Sometimes I think there are people who profess to be Christians that sometimes make Mary out to be far more than she is. And I think it's important that while we don't make Mary out to be more than she is, we also don't strip her of what she is demonstrating to us. Like, what we're seeing in Mary here is unimaginable, Uh, right? Like, you think of heroes of the faith, people that are listed in Hebrews 11, and they get news that is far more believable and has far fewer social consequences than the news that Mary just got, and their response is a mixture of like, okay, I hope that's true, but I kind of don't believe it. Uh, and Mary gets news that is physically in every way impossible and has every negative social connotation that you could possibly imagine attached to it. And in fact, we, we find out, as we heard in Matthew, that exactly what she's probably imagining is going to happen does take place, right? Joseph, being a good man, decides he's going to quietly divorce her. He's going to end their engagement, and it's only by the miraculous intervention of the Lord that Joseph doesn't do that very thing. That, that This is an impossible load for a 14-year-old girl to carry, and her response is remarkable. Like, an absolute trust in God that prompts humble obedience. Like, I don't know that there is a better example of a person doing that in a single act anywhere in Scripture. That, that certainly we shouldn't pass by the fact that we should absolutely seek to emulate Mary in this regard. That the, the kind of faith that you're seeing in Mary is singular. And so even as she's introduced to us as a woman who we would think is a girl who you would think is utterly inconsequential. Uh, by the end of the little story here, you, you find that Mary is actually somebody who has something that you've never seen anywhere else. A, a kind of faith that is unimaginable. And, you know, even as I... As I say that, I think... Uh, probably there's something uh, recently in our memory, very, maybe very recently in our memory, that would indicate that we very much struggle to display the sort of faith that Mary displays here. That uh, we can say that uh, we know nothing is impossible with God. We can uh, say that uh, we know that God seems to prefer to dwell in the realm of what people think is impossible because it displays His power and a glory in a way other things won't. Uh, 
And even as we say that, uh, I think probably most of us know that our hearts really struggle to believe it. Uh, and the, the conviction that uh, God can make and does make the impossible possible, that God is set on fulfilling the promises He's been making in ages past, uh, like everything about Mary's faith in the Lord should be inspiring to us. And even as I say all that, I, I would very quickly point out to you that uh, Gabriel is not the main character here. Mary is not the main character here. That the unborn Jesus Christ is really the central part of this text. That uh, it's the person of Jesus, I think, that uh, we ought to consider. That uh, that in this miraculous tying of all promises together in the most unlikely of places, uh, God is fulfilling a promise, uh, the promise that he made uh, to David, the promise that he made through Moses, the promise that he made to Abraham, the promise that he made to Adam and Eve. That uh, God is drawing together all things so that uh, people that for ages have fought against him, kicked against every goad, sought to sin and rebel against his authority in every way imaginable, are truly and uh, fully given the opportunity to repent, to turn to him again in faith for salvation. That uh, it is because Jesus Christ is utterly unique that he does not have a human father and that he is uh, born of a virgin, that he does not inherit the sin nature that everyone else on earth struggles with, that is, he is able to live a perfectly righteous life, that uh, he suffers despite his righteousness, a sinner's death on behalf of every sinner, that anyone who would repent and believe, will receive his righteousness as their own. And I think uh, it's easy for us to, to get caught up in uh, you know, reading this story that uh, the miracle seems to be the how here. Like, how was Jesus born of a virgin? And I certainly don't want to diminish that in any way because that is absolutely miraculous. But I think the larger miracle here is not so much the how as the what. That God himself took on flesh, and not only did he take on flesh, but he did it for a very specific purpose on behalf of the very people who had for so long sinned against him and opposed him in every way imaginable. That the miracle of Christmas uh, is both how Jesus is born, but also that Jesus is born. That God would love his people enough to do all of this despite the fact that they had always set themselves against him, despite the fact that we have 
always set ourselves against him. That when we think about Christmas, when we uh, find ourselves uh, looking forward to Christmas, uh, that when we find uh, some comfort in Christmas, I think uh, if we're honest with ourselves, it might not be this thing that's comforting us. It might not be this thing uh, that we love. It might not be this thing that we long for and look forward to. And you know, going into this week, I want to both encourage you that uh, we are absolutely celebrating a miracle together and that this miracle means everything for God's people, that it is our salvation. And at the same time, to uh, encourage you uh, to consider uh, this year whether uh, the way you're thinking about things this week, the way you're looking forward to next, that uh, uh, to ask yourself if your frame of mind is, is betraying to you the fact that uh, your heart very quickly makes this miracle second to something else. Uh, this is, this should be, uh, absolutely uh, the singular reason for this season for us. That it uh, should be something that's constantly on our lips. It should be uh, something we encourage everyone we're around in these next few weeks with. That uh, this uh, should be the thing that wholly captures, captures our attention our awe, our wonder, and our worship. That uh, if it has, I think uh, it will certainly be on our lips. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the grace that you've made available to us in the person of Christ. God, if there is a person here that does not yet know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God, we pray that you would draw them into repentance and belief. God, we pray that you would help each of us to behold the glory of Christ. Lord, that you would uh, prompt in us God, hearts uh, captivated by the miracle of Christmas. God, that we would be people uh, not just knowing, but believing and that you consistently make what is impossible in human terms possible by the power of your Spirit and that we would be like Mary, people of absolute trust in you and that humble obedience would be a way of life and God, even 
as that is increasingly true of us, God, we pray that uh, we would never see uh, our obedience as the miracle, God, that our obedience uh, to you is simply the fruit of the work that you've done in Jesus Christ. God, we pray uh, increasingly that uh, we would uh, guard the meaning of the season, God, not so much against threats outside of us, but God, against threats inside of us. And uh, we pray that the part of our heart this week that would uh, make the goal, uh, make the comfort, make our peace or our joy something other than you, and that that part would be uh, rooted out and burn up. And that we would see Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as our joy, as our peace as our only hope. And God, we pray that you would be glorified as uh, we are molded into his image. And we pray all of this for your glory and in Christ's name. Amen.